This is Triathlon Therapy with your host, Danny McKenna, professional athlete and coach, Tim Reed, and... That's too much time. Look at Steve McKenna. Steve, what are you doing, Steve? That's too much time. Advantage Reed. It's a pleasure to have Grace Deck on the podcast today, who this year has already won Ironman 70.3 Geelong and the Challenge Wanaka half. She also took second at Ironman 70.3 Tasmania. Grace is now 26th on the PTO standings and will be taking her good form to Europe in the coming weeks and competing at the PTO European Open. Grace, thanks for being here today. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's awesome to have you, Grace. And yeah, congrats on the recent win and amazing run of form. Um, pretty stoked to get you on. And also we're just stoked that a female said yes to coming on our show because we were being <laughs> accused of being chauvinistic pigs. And um, <laughs> while that is true, uh, we are trying to change that. <laughs> well, I'm, um, I'm happy to be on. I'm glad to uh, add that female perspective that um, you're after on this body. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Grace, Grace, you're over in LA at the moment. Um, first of all, congrats on the wedding. Uh, huge news. Um, very exciting, I'm sure. Um, how? Talk to me about how the relationships work, how your relationship works just within uh, your partner. Is he an athlete as well? Is he more in a support role? Um, you know, it's always interesting to me how a lot of the best athletes in our sport tend to have someone behind them um is that the case for you yeah so um I guess we've been in a relationship for 12 years now or coming up to 12 years um so we first met in college uh I was on the track and field team um and cross country team and my my husband he was on the lacrosse team so he came from a slightly different sporting background um to me but um yeah we met at Providence College in the U.S. and um, I guess, yeah, he he did one triathlon and he claims he's a triathlete after doing the one. Um, but, yeah, he's like a big support network for me, um, supporting me in my you know, chasing these crazy dreams. And uh, it's kind of been an interesting relationship because the first uh, couple of years we were in college, so we were kind of in the same um, city. Uh, and then we went long distance for six years, actually, so... We had to kind of manage the um, communication and, um, you know, traveling back and forth to seeing each other um, over that period of time. And then I kind of think COVID was kind of kicking the butt that we needed um, to be in the same place at the same time. So uh, from there, we've kind of um, started this um, lifestyle where we spend part of the year in, in Melbourne, where I'm from, um, particularly during the domestic season and then in LA where he's from for the remainder of the season so we're kind of chasing the summers around and it works well because um, his job he can work in Melbourne and in LA and then um, LA is a good I guess spot to jump to different uh, races in the northern hemisphere for myself so we've done this the last three years and it's working well and um, yeah he's he doesn't ride with me or swim with me or run with me but uh, he is a yeah good support person to have on my team. Grace, do you like that he's not a triathlete? Is that, that it changes the topic from your whole day being triathlon and then you come home and it's it's not more triathlon talk? Yeah, to be honest, I think there's, um, you know, you see a lot of other athletes and they 
um, live, you know, with other triathletes, like a, have a other triathlete who's a partner, but I kind of like having that separation. Uh, it gives me perspective and, um, and a distraction, I guess, because I think you can be so consumed in the triathlon lifestyle and it just takes your life over. And I think having that, you know, switch on and switch off, um, yet still having him support me is um, pretty important uh, to help me, you know, with my goals. I agree with you, Grace. The bubble that you can get caught up in, um, I feel like my mental health spirals after a while if it's all triathlon. So we actually have a no triathlon talking rule after hours. In our I love house, that. I good. love that. It's really helpful. So, yeah. I um, just know um, like when Zach starts to um, not pay any attention, it's no triathlon talk because he's, <laughs> he's not actually listening yeah. anyway. <laughs> Ours is different. It's shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing it again, Stephen. <laughs> um, Grace, obviously Geelong was, you know, an awesome race for you. Um, I feel like you just keep making nice incremental steps. You're one of those athletes who uh, I, I guess you watch some athletes and they just continually slowly progress and get better and better and better. And then you see some athletes who sort of burst onto the scene. I'd say you're just one of those steady, just making that steady progression. Um, what's, so, so you started in running and then now is it just, you're just seeing across all three that you just, um, it's just been steady progression. Has your running gone uh, in some ways, have you had to take a back step from running training to get swim and bike up to, where it's at and you know obviously your run's been always been a really good weapon but i'm just curious as to how you've structured your training to get to the level you're at given your history as an elite runner yeah so i i think um yeah obviously i've got that running background i also have a swimming background as well so i started squad training when i was six years old until i was about 16 years old um and then i focused more on my um, running at that stage um so i think having the background in both is been really helpful. I think um, the bike has been, I guess, the most challenging part about getting into the sport. Um, I did my first ever half uh, Ironman at uh, 70.3 Geelong in 2018. So I think um, I think the progress on the bike has been one that has been fun to see, but also, you know, comes with the most frustrations. And I think that for me, now being in the sport for a couple of years, I've really got that consistent training on the bike that you kind of need that time in the saddle. And um, obviously made a few tweaks with my equipment last year, which I think really helped um, get progress um, on the bike. Um, and I think in terms of the running, um, when I was in college in the US, I was very, uh, had a lot of injuries, um, more than I can count. Um, all metatarsal stress fractures. So basically one or two stress related injuries per year. Um, and that was kind of the reason I turned to triathlon because I still really liked running and I still wanted that to be part of my life. But I knew that once I reached 60 kilometers a week that I would just break down. And um, that was kind of my, um, like, yeah, the point at which I couldn't go too much beyond um, without breaking down. So I figured uh, my last year of college, it was actually, in fact, my best year of running. And I actually incorporated swimming with the swim team at college and then doing my second run as a bike ride in the gym. And I really liked that variation of the swim bike run. And in fact, I was getting the best results I had 
uh, and injury free um, on the run. And I think uh, that kind of inspired me to go into the sport of triathlon. And so I think, yeah, overall, it's just been really chipping away at each. I think the running, um, the running is probably still the problem child for me in terms of injuries. I don't know if I've ever gone into a race completely injury free the previous two months. I'm usually managing some kind of niggle along the way. So um, I think I've really had to manage the run load. Um, yeah, probably not doing much more than 50, 60K max um, per week. And that's when I've got a good consistent block of training. In. Often it can be much less than that. Um, and supplementing it a lot with the uh, lever runner unit, which I've been doing and previous to that was the Alter G. Um, and I think that has been like a super key asset to um, my run training. Um, and then swimming, I started out probably only swimming three, four times a week. And then last year I said, okay, if I need, if I want to be better, I've got to do five swims a week. And um, this last block I've managed to get six swims a week, um, which has um, been a lot different, uh, but I think I'm starting to see improvements um, with that. And I think across the board, I'm seeing, still seeing improvements in all three. Um, I think probably with my bike riding being the um, one that's um, more visible, the, the progression over the last year. So a few follow-ons from that, Grace. Um, firstly, just to, not to talk about myself, but having a, um, some injuries to my upper body at the moment with some fractures, it's interesting you say how you had your best running, um, actually bringing in more cross-training because I've increased my run mileage a ton because that's all I can do at the moment. And I've actually seen a drop in my run economy um, because I'm not doing any of the cross training. So just to reinforce your point there, I'm always, I was always amazed. Um, and this was reinforced at just how little cross training runners do because they, they don't really do that big and aerobic load, you know, like it's one to two hours a day. And I feel like a lot of them could be a lot better with adding in bike and, and swim. Um, Firstly, on equipment with your bike, you do seem really dialed. Have you done a lot of testing and who have you worked with on that um, to, to have it? You, you do seem to have things um, very well, you know, in place for what works for you. Your helmet sits well, um, you know, that just seems like you, you are quite detail orientated. Is that someone advised you on that or has that just been personal um, discoveries that you've sort of chased down? Uh, well, thank you. That's a huge compliment because I've not really spent any uh, or not too much thought into the detail um, around my, I guess, equipment. But I figured uh, after being on the Venter for a couple of years, I knew I needed to change something with my bike position. I couldn't get as low on the front end as I wanted to. And um, for me, the biggest challenge um, has been finding a bike that's small enough for me. Um, it took probably a year and a half to finally pull the trigger on buying that uh, bike I'm currently on um, and then working with my coach who actually uh, fitted it initially and then uh, we haven't really had to make too many changes uh, since then. I've done no testing. Um, it's all just, um, yeah, just seemed to click. I think the biggest change that I made uh, in the last year was the move from 165 millimeter cranks to 150 millimeter cranks which I didn't realize when I first got my bike that 165 was kind of like I guess the normal crank that just comes with the bike and uh, because I'm so short I 
didn't even know that, you know, I didn't know much about the bike. So I thought, okay, yeah, that's fine. Uh, and then moving to the 150 millimeter crank was a huge, made a huge difference. I felt like I was actually getting power through the whole stroke, pedal stroke. I felt like, um, yeah, looking back on the 165, I was missing that segment where I was, um, you know, losing, I guess, effective um, power pedal stroke. I'm not entirely sure of the terminology of that, but <laughs> that was kind of, I think, the biggest change in equipment last year that I really made. Did um, it help that, your run yeah. as well, Grace? Um, I'm not, it, it's really hard to know specifically the changes because I made so many changes at once. I got a new frame and new setup, uh, new position, cranks. It was kind of the whole thing at once. It's hard to pinpoint exactly. Um, I do remember I was going through an injury, I believe, at the time. So um, I'm not entirely sure how I felt off the bike, whether that was a factor of injury or whether that was just, um, yeah, feeling better with the shorter cranks. Yeah. I've always said that the bike industry is unintentionally sexist in that it is so hard for women to get a good fitting bike and cranks. I spend with the, our uh, age group women, I spend so much time trying to chase down shorter cranks for them. Um, and what comes standard just simply doesn't suit, doesn't suit the time trying, uh, doesn't suit their hip angle for short yeah. people on a bike. Even for myself, I used to run 160s for a lot of my um, career. It's hard to do. So, um, and yeah, I, as Steve mentioned with the run injuries, we've noticed um, when you do put women onto shorter cranks or short guys onto shorter cranks, you do suddenly a lot of the run injuries, especially through the hips, start to clear up. So I think that um, is an interesting point from Steve that uh, it does seem to make a big difference. Yeah, I definitely think that, um, as you said, the bike industry is not really looking at small women. I think uh, if you look at, even the sizes, a small will fit someone my size or maybe someone my size and go all the way up to someone who's five foot eight. And so the range is so big. I was kind of wondering who's who's on medium and larges with the women. It's all like probably small. And then even then it's still too big for some women like myself. I promise, um, Steve, I'll let you move on to the more interesting questions, but I'm, I'm just interested on these run injuries. You are a bit of a pretty major heel striker, Grace. Is that always been how you've run? And have you tried different um, run techniques and it hasn't worked? What's Is there any yeah method behind the, the style? Um, I think it's just something that's um, been ingrained from such an early age. I started doing fun runs um, at the age of six. And so from that time I've kind of adopted this run style I think um I think in part actually when I was younger I used to run with my mom and she's like you're so loud on your feet try and be quiet because I think I was just like slamming my foot into the ground and so I think to try and be quiet I was like heel towing it and I think maybe that that may have contributed to it but maybe I'm just looking for someone to god damn it mom to blame um <laughs> but I think yeah Heel striking is something I've always done. Um, I've, I did have a coach um, by the name of Tony Benson when I was about 15 years old and he was trying to change my technique. And then by the end, he was like, yeah, no, nah, I can't help you. Like, you're done. <laughs> like, you just keep keep running how you're running. Um, and at the time, I had no injuries. Like, in my teenage years, um, I ran a lot um, 
did cross country. My mileage, my mileage was not super um, high, but yeah, I never got injured until I turned about, I think, 18 was my first injury where I had a stress fracture. And then it was every single year after that for four or five years that I had one or two stress fractures a year. So I think there was a low component. Um, I definitely think that I'm not the most graceful runner. There are a lot of biomechanical changes that could be made to make me more efficient. Um, I think the hardest part for me is finding time to make those changes. Being, you know, Southern Hemisphere athletes, we're kind of racing all year round and we don't necessarily have that off season or that opportunity to kind of build from the ground up. And I think, you know, it's hard to find that time because, you know, when I do run, I, I only run three times a week. And when I do run, it's usually quality work. So I don't have that time to just, you know, do some easy jogs where I'm focusing on technique. Um, again, yeah, I have tried. I just uh, <laughs> maybe haven't tried hard enough. <laughs> You've got the um, the balanced runner in Melbourne. I haven't heard any reviews on him, but he is there. I've heard that he does sort this kind of stuff out. Yeah, definitely something I've thought of. And um, uh, I've seen he's had some success uh, doing it with runners. I think he's been working with Joel Tobin White and Brett Robinson and even going over to um, Oregon to work with the University of Oregon and All right. perhaps the, the track pro track team there. So, um, yeah, maybe something to think about in the future. I I think the biggest take home from me generally as an athlete is that I am stubborn and I don't <laughs> like change. And it takes Someone can't tell me like, oh, you've got to do this. It has to come from me. So my coach, I think, has probably whacked his head against the door like a billion times since he started coaching me because he'll tell me to do something and it takes me a couple of years to think, oh, okay, maybe, maybe I need to start doing that. So, um, yeah, it's... That's uh, good though. You did it, you've done it tough and now you get real free speed. I think the change from that Venton was huge. I think the position was just not... Uh, just wasn't that great and then <clears throat> to see the photos now it's pretty ridiculous the change that you've made in you know the off season um i do have to say that i've just signed my first bike contract um you i'll be on a new bike uh, as of june um so there'll be another change but hopefully um not ventum gonna be on a, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> not ventum it's gonna be a, a much faster bike okay. so to move on to the PTO race that you're going to do soon. Mm -hmm. um, this is probably going to come up um, with Reedy as well anyway. You, you, you've decided to go over um, from the US. Are you going to just do the PTO race and come back to the US or are you going to hang around and make the most of that trip? Yeah, so I've got a block of races that I've got teed up for Europe. I was, in fact, going to stay there all the way until the World uh, 70.3 champs at the end of August, but... Um, from a financial point of view, it's a little hard to be over there for uh, that long. Uh, so my plan is to race the PTO event on the 6th of May and then go and do the Challenge Championship on the 21st of May. And then two weeks later, again, um, race Challenge Salou uh, in Spain. And then I'm pending whether I race the week after at Ch Challenge Wales. But, um, yeah. Four, four races in five weeks might be a little bit too much. So that last one's kind of got an asterisk at the moment. But, yeah, plan that little block of races and then come back here, um, get set up on the new bike and then 
get a good solid seven or eight weeks of training ahead of um, either racing the PTO US race or the 70.3 European Championships, which are both on the same weekend in early August and then the World Champs um, at the end of August in Finland. How soon before the PTO race will you will you head over to Ibiza? Yeah, so I am a little late on the logistics front. I have not booked my flight yet, um, but I plan to leave in 13 days. Uh, I'll leave on the Saturday and get there a full week. Um, or it might end up being about six days beforehand. I think last year I raced in Slovakia and I showed up, I think, four or five days before and I was extremely jet lagged. I um, just felt absolutely terrible in the race. And so the second time I went to Europe last year, I went a full week beforehand and really felt like that was a good amount of time to get over the jet lag from LA to Europe. And you also last, last year, you sort of raced back to back. Um, I don't know if it was a week apart or two weeks apart, but it did seem to work for you. Um, yeah. so- I actually raced four times last year all with one week, um, like four Blocks of, yeah, you know, one week four, between. Four. Yeah, crazy. That's amazing. Uh, what would you say? Recoverability. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it makes sense. If if people if people can do it, it's uh, it's the most economical way to you know do a big block of training, go over race, 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 and then the aerobic fitness starts to drop off, even though you you know you're really well race conditioned, and then get back to work. So it's a if you can manage that and recover like that, that's fantastic. And I think that I can't see why it wouldn't work for you again this year. So I like the plan a lot. Yeah. I think that, um, I remember the first time I did a 70.3, it took me like I needed a full two weeks off after. Um, but yeah, the body adapts. I think the more you do and the more you, um, practice it, um, you, you adapt and you're able to get that, um, firing again a week later. So I think, yeah, it really worked for me. And, as you said last year, that was probably the first time I really tried doing that many back-to-back races. Um, but it allowed me to have a, a training block, which I think previously I was kind of racing once every month, and then you kind of get interrupted um, and never get a good solid, you know, six to eight week block in because you're continually racing. So yeah, being able to put them back to back definitely allows for those blocks of training. Have you did you say before, but or can you say who the bike sponsor is? Um I'll probably just hold off. Um, I'll give you a clue that your one of your previous guests is also on this bike. Mm, okay. That's really <clears throat> strong-minded of you. I would crack immediately if someone, I'm a people pleaser. If someone was like, who is it? And they said, absolutely do not tell anyone. I'd straight away go, oh, it's uh, it's Trek. so grace we we actually looked we looked through the pto who you know that you know the top 50 is mostly made up of europeans i suppose or there's a more there's a higher concentrate of europeans um and then we looked at the percentages kind of of who who pulled out and what continents and it's kind of even or maybe there's more us and oceanas that didn't go to the PTO race myself I got a roll roll down and I had to say no I don't like traveling just before a race um and not having time to go to altitude and all that whereas you know all these Europeans have been doing a 12-week block towards this race and it just scared the hell out of me not being able to stay for another race like the challenge champs so that's why I asked that question to you it's interesting I, I don't feel like it would have been worth it if my prep wasn't the exact same as the rest of them, I wouldn't feel confident that I would come 
you know, top 10 where you're going to cover costs. Um, unless I was going to the challenge champs like you, I didn't think it was really worth it. So maybe that's why we saw, you know, more US and Oceania people say no. Um, yeah, I think that obviously being in Europe, it's an easier tra uh, travel than being from, um, you know, the Southern Hemisphere or, or from the US. It's still quite costly to fly from the US to Europe. It's probably going to cost me, including accommodation for the week, about three and a half grand. Um, and so, yeah, definitely need to do a couple of races to justify it. I'm also always looking to get into big races and test myself against the best. I think that if you look at, you know, the last couple of years, um, you know, I'm not so much cherry picking any races um, for a chance of a podium. I'm more chasing the big races because I think that's going to um, build experience and um, yeah. I am, you know, hoping that I can, um, yeah, perform well enough to make back my money. Um, and then obviously with that comes, you know, the points of it being a platinum race as well or, or a diamond race, whatever the highest tier yeah. is. I, 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 that's what I was torn between your mindset and mine, which is, um, you know, I need to make a living for my family now, mm -hmm. but I would so rather do the, the ballsy thing and go and race the best in the world. But yeah, we're, I suppose you're, you're, the prep has to be just ideal in my mind for, yeah. for it to be justified. But I think, I think what you've done is, is a bit better. You, I, it's probably less hard. Is it really to go from the U S to Europe anyway, like just a little bit. Yeah. I think the time zone's not quite as big a shift. Um, but what, what's the difference, Grace? It's um, four or five hours. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's substantial enough to notice. Um, I think yeah. that mm. I'm the kind of person that I've done the flight from Australia to LA many a times um, and I've never really got jet lagged either direction. Maybe I'm just used to it. But oh, wow. when I go to um, Europe from LA, I've really felt it a lot the last few times. Uh, so I'm not sure if it's the direction to going from LA to Europe, I always feel a lot worse than when I return back from Europe to LA. So I think maybe it's a factor of, um, you know, doing it more and getting used to it, but uh, I'm not entirely sure of the time change. It's yeah. 14 hour flight for me. Um, so it's still a decent travel day. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's enough to notice. That's for sure. We're, I think we're all here pretty confident that you'll go well. I think if I did it, we're pretty confident I'd go terribly. With the year no. <laughs> with sickness, I think it was silly. But you, yeah, I'm happy you said yes. It's going to be good to, to watch your race. Yeah, it's definitely a stacked field. And, I mean, they've all top-ranked women are racing the PTO Europe, or at least are on the start list. I think there's 18 or 19 in the top 30. So, uh, it's extremely stacked and, you know, um, obviously I'm looking to do my best, but, um, you know, top 20 would be insane. Top 15 would be incredible. Top 10 would be mind blowing. So, um, yeah, looking for a good race, but not putting too much expectation on myself because the field is so good. I can only control what I can control and that's just get, getting out there and doing my best. Um, cool. I think great. I think too, Steve, going as a roll down and not having planned for it is always hard. You know, we've seen some of the best Aussie guys head over at last minute. And I think it's, um, 
it is hard when you, you when you're racing guys who've done their altitude block or have haven't traveled as far i always think racing europeans in europe is one of the hardest tasks to do um grace has actually done it well um i never really managed to do it well but yeah it's a, it's um i think you're very confident you'll us proud grace We do have special guest, RPG coach, Clint Rollings, who has joined us. Um, the reason we've asked Clint to come on, apart from just really loving hearing his voice whenever we can, is Clint has checked out the Ironman Australia um, new bike course. And has the, I don't know if the run course has changed. We'll find out. But we thought it might be good for the, for the thousands and thousands of listeners to hear about the course and uh, and give it a bit of a rundown for us, Clint. So, Clint, welcome. Always great to see you and hear from you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I didn't think we'd be having video on, and I wish I didn't have to look at your heads, but that's okay. <laughs> that bedroom looks like you you're coming straight out of... <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting in the lounge room, just quietly, <laughs> not in the bedroom. Um, yeah. So, so you checked out the course. Yeah, hit me with the with the obviously the swim staying the same as usual. For those that haven't done the race before, it is a very hard to navigate swim. Um, many a man and woman has got very disorientated on that swim course. So, I would if you can get out there and kayak swim or go and just visualize the swim course. That would be probably my first tip um, because the first year I raced there it was actually the year I won, but I got dropped straight away in the swim after a bit of an altercation with another swimmer and I did not know where I was going and I lost quite a lot of time, probably wouldn't have lost as much if I knew what, knew what the course was. I've never had to do anything except follow feet before. So um, that's probably the first thing I'd say. And now the bike course, Clint. I think with the, just back to the swim quickly, like unless you're an absolute mad dog, like reading near the front of the race, like for the age groupers, you never really feel like, you know, where you're going. Like it feel even like it's not just a straight square or whatever. So to get in the days before the, the race and actually have a look and pick some markers ahead or, or work out where you're going is certainly worthwhile there. Like we tried to have a look at it while we were down there the last couple of times and it just didn't work. Like there's so many boats in there that you're kind of wandering aimlessly through where the course goes. So in the days before, it's definitely worth um, worth getting in and having a look. But yeah, the ride course, um, it's going to be different. Uh, I guess the, the questions, the, the, the main question that everyone's been asking is faster or slower. Um, I really think it'll be quicker just due, for a few reasons. Uh, the first 10K or so is basically flat. So it just allows you to calm down and get going again, uh, get going without revving like a, crazy person out of town like we used to uh and then you, you go west straight away so that's going to be one thing that we did notice when we left town was how how cold it got like because you're not along the coast obviously as soon as you head west it, it does get a little bit cooler uh it was two laps out there so about 120 k's west of town like out, out around telegraph point rolling hills uh we rode we rode one lap really easy and it and it was 
it kind of you think, oh, it's really really hilly. Like this is this is up and down. It's going to be going to be hard work. But when you're actually riding it at Ironman effort and linking the hills up, it was it was pretty easy to to maintain speed. So that's something that anyone I've spoken to post post being down there, I've, I've said if you can find a, a piece of road that's very similar with just like short rolling hills and just learn to ride the downhills and, and hold your power across the flats and through the next part of the hill, you're kind of two thirds up the hill before you're even you're even worried about about it. So it's um yeah, it's kind of similar to the old course. You're just west of town, really. Clint, is there anywhere in particular that you would say uh, for someone who's coming late, which is probably most most of the field who's nervous about seeing, not knowing the course, where would you say on the Friday or Saturday to quickly have a little drive out? And Is there any descents that they should quickly check out that are technical or uphills that they shouldn't be, they should check out to not be nervous about or anything like that? Or is it all just kind of rolling and that's that? Yeah, if, the, if they've got a car... I definitely there's two specific spots that were a bit like you'd be better off knowing for sure. One was there's like a a downhill section into a right hander that you go under the train bridge and it's once they add it's really skinny. It's a pretty kind of sneaks up on you that part and it's really skinny. And once they add witches hats, you know, a lot of athletes on course, that one will be fairly sketchy. So that'll be about I think the best option would be if you're going to do an hour or so ride, if, you could, if you've got a car to go and park at Telegraph Point service station and that's kind of the start of the two loops out west and you could ride a loop out there and check out that part of the course. And then the other section that was like really you'll need to have your wits about you is instead of you used to come through town this is more for the 70.3 guys, but also for Ironman at about 140 Ks. But you go through the hills through the front of town and instead of turning right to go down Matthew Flinders, you go out to the lighthouse. You kind of build speed the whole way down to there and there's an S section at the end there that if you're not, I mean, a lot of people's time trial bikes don't have the best brakes. And if you're not ready, and like know what's going to happen it's a bit of an s-bend that's yet again going to be really tight and pretty pretty sketchy so they're two sections that are worthwhile looking at besides that it's all pretty pretty safe pretty pretty standard uh, there's a couple of bridges out there but they'll 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 cover those with um carpet and then it'll, the the rest of it will just be pretty much follow the leader oh good well i asked for those people that are arriving late <clears throat> um, and that's one of them is me. <laughs> so I was writing notes that whole time. <laughs> hey, we, we'll go through it. But yeah, there's a few, like if you've got a car, there's only two sections that you really should have a look at that'll, and, and the rest of it is very similar to previously. Good to know. Um, to bring this back to Grace quickly, are you planning an Ironman anytime in your career soon or ever? Well, I was thinking about doing one a couple of years ago. I thought I'd gift myself an Ironman for my 30th birthday. Um, I'm turning 32 this year and I still have no um, desire really to tackle that distance. But it's for sure something I'd like to do in the future, just uh, not this year and maybe not next year. Smart move. <laughs> yeah. Where, where else are you <laughs> 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 
<laughs> the main thing is you always tell your sponsors you're going to do it, <laughs> but then never actually do it. <laughs> yeah. I am going to Kona, yeah, next year. <laughs> I think there's so many opportunities to do halves and with the PTO racing as well, um, you know, over the 100K distance, I think that, you know, I like to race and I like to race often, so I think at the moment, you know, throwing in a big Ironman block and then the recovery from an Ironman seems like a large chunk of the year that I won't be racing and I won't be making um, money. So I think that, yeah, at the moment, the 70.3 is where it's at for me. Well, if you can do four races in four weeks, you know, that's, <laughs> you're looking at maybe three Ironmans in a year, you know, to be able to do it well at at best. So, um, I mean, there's always except exceptions to the rule but i think for now um while you've got the speed um capitalize especially now that all the money is in the shorter racing mm -hmm. uh clint sorry back to the course real quick so is the run course the same as as previous years and even if it is do you mind just running people through that so that they can get an idea of what to expect yeah it's gonna it's a similar course to previous they've done a fair bit of work along the waterfront there so it's it, it's probably a lot less I mean, I think maybe the year you won it, Reedy, that was it rained a fair bit and there was just mud everywhere. So all those sections along town have now been concreted. So it's all pretty pretty standard. Four loop course, um, one hill per lap. Um, that's basically a, a spot where you've got to kind of just drop the ego and just run conservatively because straight off the other side of that hill, you're downhill, so you get to kind of recover and get back in control uh besides that it's super flat really fun course because obviously four loops you're going through town a lot so you get to see a lot of people um and a lot of the competitors as well on course so it's super simple but really fun course so nothing's changed on the run side um the swim obviously it'll be similar but yeah the ride's going to be once we'd ridden the whole course, it was really obvious how people are going to make mistakes on that course because you used to ride two loops and it was – you go through the hills and then at 90Ks you're kind of still almost warming into the day and, and, and dosing your effort. So you'd go through town again and it was it was comfortable and you weren't starting to get hit that pain kind of threshold yet. But the way it's going to be now will be you you come through town – well, you finish the loops out west at about 125 to 130k and then you roll to town on a like it's really flat or it's, it's relatively flat the roads are pretty good you'll start to build some speed and then at about 140k as you go through town you'll see everyone you know then you've got to go through all the hills back out of town and if you're not paying attention there you'll ride too hard forget what you're doing and then all of a sudden you're out near the golf course at about 150 k's maybe and i think that's where it's really not like nine times out of ten on that course it's a southerly wind so from like town out to lake katai you'll be a headwind and i think that's where people are really gonna if you haven't dosed your effort through the early parts that's where it's really going to get painful you said that the course is kind of nice coming back from the two loops <clears throat> out on the two loops is a pretty rough like that will be at around the 150k mark because i you know it's just shitty roads and potholes not pot, not big potholes but just stuff to look out for well it's from my experience. 
Yeah, it's kind of it, they're just country country New South Wales roads, but the the problem with riding it during training is you've got to worry about cars. You've got to not be that idiot cyclist who's out in the middle of the road holding up traffic. So you're stuck on the shoulder. And you don't really have anywhere to go. Like you've just got to stay there and ride the bumps. Whereas on race day, you've got the pick of the road. And when we got a chance a couple of times when we were down there, we just jumped out in that wheel track of like the passenger side of the car and it's like remarkably better. So the roads out there, I mean, they're bumpy. There's no free speed, but it's like it's going to be a lot better on race day compared to riding it in training when you've got to worry about cars. When you've got the pick of the road, it's sweet. Oh, Clint, i got to ask, who do you think is going to win the mile race? <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got a vested interest here, mate. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, don't answer. I'd, don't I'd answer. hope one of two humans. Uh, <laughs> it's it's funny, like the tactical side of things. We won't speak too much about it on here, but it will be different to previously uh, because of the way that the course plays out. So, it'll be very much. Um, I think if you dose your effort correctly through the first like 130 on the bike for the pro guys, especially there'll be huge chunks of time to be made or lost during the, the last hour or so on the bike. So I'm not going to see, how I just danced around that question, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, I have a question regarding the bike course. So I've never done Port Mac, but I know of the heartbreak hill. I think it's what it's called. Is that, is that the right term for that? Uh, and is got, it in it this time? Yeah, I remember so, people uh, having to, you know, adjust their gearing and all that. Yeah, it's before. it's still in the course. You used to do it twice. Uh, the guys in the 70.3 now have to do it twice over the, the 70.3 course, which is, is pretty solid. But it's, I mean, it's a 200-metre stretch of a 220-something K day. Like, I talked about it with a few other people. It's if it's too much, like the the time lost unclipping and walking the last hundred meters and getting back on would be very limited because by the time once you get to the top and turn left, you've got about another probably kilometer of slightly uphill. And so if you go up over the top and your heart rate's at threshold and you've ridden it way too hard, you spend the next kilometer trying to get back on track. So I think it, it's not near as bad as people say. If you've got gears for it and you just don't go crazy, um, it, yeah, as I said, it's, it's 200 metres of, of a of a very long day. The only thing about that is it's at about 175 k's into the ride. So it's probably – you're probably already excited Ouch. about getting off your bike and it, it just adds stress to the, to the situation. I like that though. That's where I'm like – unable to hold 250 watts anymore so it's going to be like well you're not going to move if you don't so <laughs> we'll, we'll ask will you right. we'll, we'll ask you post-race steve if you still feel the same yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah thanks clint you uh very thorough we appreciate your time um for those wondering yes clint is a much in demand coach there's a long wait list but you can email rpgcoaching at gmail.com no, actually, it's readperformancegroup.gmail.com. If you want to get added to the wait list. Um, no, we appreciate you coming on, Clint. And thanks for 
getting down there and checking out the course for for everyone. It's been here. Um, here I was thinking you guys were getting on me on here to give me a formal apology for that prank call you <laughs> made a few weeks ago. And, and all you wanted is my is my uh, opinion on the course. I'm a bit disappointed, but uh, thanks, guys. I'm, I'm just sick of you asking for Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it was a joke. <laughs> oh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Jeez. Thanks, Clint. We all know maintaining adequate sodium levels in racing is critical and provides benefits which include better absorption of nutrients in the gut and cognitive function. Reedy, you've been looking into salt loading of late and you've found a few issues. I went through a, a lot of a lot of searching through different um, studies and on the so-called salt loading that people do leading into a race. And I'm putting out the call to anyone out there who's got anything decent that is showing either way, you know, a performance advantage or a performance detriment to salt loading because it was very hard to find anything that, I would consider even slightly useful. Um, and yet I'm so surprised how many companies uh, recommend this salt loading process. For me, uh, I'm not a big fan of it in, you know, every, every person who's tapering, if you're salting your foods um, throughout the week, you're backing off your training. Um, I feel like people tend to get their electrolyte stores up to scratch, especially if they're doing, you know, the magnesium and calcium sups that you should probably be doing if you're sweating a lot anyway. Um, and, you know, the, the beautiful part about sea salt um, or what we salt our foods with is, is, is the chloride component. And it, it's what we can taste um, when we eat salt and our body will tell us if we need it or if we don't need it. And the problem with salt loading with sports nutrition products, sports electrolytes, is they normally use sodium citrate, which while it is a little bit less acidic on the gut, so it's not a bad option during the race, you can't use that chloride component to determine how much you should be taking in at rest. Um, and you can just guzzle it down in the days leading up. Without realizing it, your body's going, shit, we've got so much sodium in the system. Um, you're overloaded. You start urinating. You might feel nauseous, but typically you'll just start going to the toilet a lot. And the body starts to get rid of that all that excess salt. While it's getting rid of that salt, it's also getting rid of precious bodily fluid. And, you know, one thing we're trying to do is get maximum hydration going into the race. And what actually happens is people end up dehydrating themselves. They've got a headache. They're going to the toilet nonstop. And I've seen it over and over again with people who do this preloading of sodium. So please, from what all my experience is, please just salt your food, drink water. Don't carry around a bottle with you and use it as a nervous tick, just guzzling water. Cause obviously just drinking too much water in itself can also flush your electrolytes, which can end up with the same problems. Um, just do what you normally do day to day. Your body's very good at regulating, um, salt your food, drink water. And I think save the tasty sweet electrolytes, uh, for during sessions when, you know, you're definitely going to need it because you're definitely sweating. Any thoughts, Steve or Grace? Um, I'll let Grace go. I, <clears throat> do you, I don't know how much sodium um, I should be taking in in a race or preparing because I haven't done a salt test, which I really, really want to do. So are you in the same boat, Grace? 
Yeah, I've actually um, not done any salt testing either and I'm probably guilty of doing the whole, oh, I'm racing tomorrow, maybe I should take some electrolytes. Um, and I've definitely experienced that, um, probably that headache and the need to go to the bathroom more often. So um, it's, yeah, in fact, I, I don't use um, my hydration tablets, you know, consistently in training. I usually use it mainly on race day, um, but I do, yeah, supplement with um, magnesium um, throughout the, the week. So, um, yeah, definitely need some salt testing done to see how much I'm losing and then, you know, set up a good protocol pre-race and during race. The only thing I've got to add is that, that I don't overdo anything because I have in the past. Um, and you know how you learn the hard way. So you um, feel sluggish after drinking too much into a race or like too much, too many electrolytes or too much food the night before. So now I just pretend it's another day. And if I go in this tiny, tiniest bit dehydrated from training and not loading up enough, then I'd, I'd prefer that than be, being like bloated and, you know, um, having too much. Because I, I, my, from my experience, the, um, the opposite is um, worse. Yeah, I think there's also the the aspect of really overloading on potassium, which is, um, helps with the contraction of muscles. But you'll often find people who've been hyper-loading on uh, electrolytes, is they'll jump into the swim warm-up and they're like, I've never had this before, but I'm cramping in my feet, in my calves. And I get that even when I just drink a coconut water, which is, you know, the ratio of potassium to sodium is actually sort of the opposite of what it should be. So just as a hot tip, if you're going to use coconut water to hydrate you should actually put another pinch of salt into it um to balance out the potassium but i find yeah people have, that have really loaded on potassium they can be actually really twitchy the same way as if they haven't had enough uh potassium where they you know this having too much and having too little of electrolytes can cause the same problems so um i think uh the, the salt the sweat testing uh can be really important i think especially in ironman racing and obviously for kona um, the range that people can be is quite a lot. Um, obviously you can change how much salt you lose to a degree with, um, with heat ad adaption, but the, the a heavy sodium loser is still going to lose a fair bit of sodium compared to someone who's doesn't lose that same amount. It's very genetic. So not promising anything, but we're hoping that, um, in the next few months, RPG will have so a proper machine to do some um, sweat testing analysis. It's a big investment, so I'm still just sort of arming and ahhing. I'm not a fan of the uh, sweat patch system that, that is going around where you basically sweat and then send it off, uh, sweat, send off a, I don't know how they, what they call it, the little, you basically jar the, um, what's the word? Sweat patch. Yeah, that, that'll do. <laughs> that little bit, yeah. I feel like if you, yeah, it just, I've just seen some pretty inaccurate, not inaccurate, but inconsistent results. So, you know, the same person will send off and get a, a wide ranging result. So, um, yeah, just as you said, Steve, just don't do anything silly the day before. You've, you've trained perfectly well just doing normal things and the body will tell you when you're thirsty and it'll tell you when you're craving salt. So yeah, but it just body. sucks that everyone has to learn the hard way to actually learn. Like we have to sacrifice a race to, um, to not make that mistake again. Like athletes recently under us, Reedy, um, <laughs> we talked about it, how they, they were cramping in the swim, felt really horrible and sluggish and 
um, had just had no power on the bike immediately as well. And the cramps didn't stop. And it, it would, you know, we established that, yeah, he drank way too much the day before the race. And, and that's common. It's not, it wasn't just him. That's just everyone has to make this mistake. Instead of being told, don't do this. Well, you know, some people can just do it. But from Reedy's experience with me, I have to do it myself. And, and, yeah. um, and I, I was exactly the same. I was exactly the same, Steve. Unfortunately, there's just some people out there like you and I who don't listen or believe what we hear until we have to go through the embarrassment of walking it in at the end of a race. So, um, but everyone listening, you've been warned. Don't be an idiot. (laughs) In recent doping news, New Zealand runner Zane Robertson has been banned for eight years for a positive doping test. Reedy, what are your thoughts on this recent news? Yeah, I'd be interested, especially Grace coming from a running background, whether she, her thoughts on this, um, whether you knew Zane Robertson at all. Um, obviously, I've got my own opinions on it a little bit. But first of all, Grace, you know, I should give some background on the story. Um, Zane Robertson, uh, towards the end of his career, I'd say most likely, but um, tested positive for EPO. Um, and then not only tested positive, but made up a very some very bad excuses, which doubled his ban. Um, your thoughts, Grace, on Zane Robertson, the New Zealand runner? I think he's been to two Olympics, or at least was at the last Olympics. So a big name over there and a big story. Yeah, so um, I don't know him personally, but I, I know of him. And he's got, a, uh, I believe, a twin brother or, or a brother who's also a runner as well. And um, I did read an article about his recent um, excuse. Um, I think it was that he went to hospital and for COVID and they injected him with EPO uh, instead of the uh, treatment. Um, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, pretty stupid reasoning to try and get out on uh, of something. But I, I do know that he's been based for a large portion of his running career in um, Africa, I think Kenya or Ethiopia, I'm not entirely sure exactly where, but um, yeah, obviously, um, you know, something like that. I don't know, in my opinion, it's probably a lifetime ban. Um, but yeah, I, I can't really comment too much because I don't know the full um, the full story, but and I don't know him as a person, but uh, yeah, I think if you're done, you're done. Um, I know you've spoken about it previously on a podcast um, regarding um, that. And I, I think that, yeah, in terms of EPO and the bad cover-up, it's a definite lifetime ban in my opinion. I don't tolerate yeah. anything like that. And, you know, um, yeah, I think that it's unfair to c- competitors and it's just, uh, yeah, it's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good opinion. I, I, I actually got some strange messages after our last episode talking about Peter Boll um, and people thinking I was somehow defending dopers, but they obviously haven't looked into what we were talking about at all. Mm-hmm. Um, see, this is the opposite end of the spectrum where someone's made the wrong decision. Um, people do make mistakes. For anyone who really wants to know the full story or listen to Zane talk about it, he does a great, uh, I think Brad Beer on the Physical Performance Show does a great job interviewing him. Um, and you can get more of the background. I think any young athlete should listen to this and realise what 
a, that sort of decision, how it can, you know, what the implications of what can happen when you do make that wrong decision. I think for me, um, the thing that I was most disappointed with is that people do make mistakes. I get that. I've always said life banned for someone that makes mistakes. But, you know, for someone, I hate to use this as an example because he is a piece of shit, but Lance Armstrong, um, the only redeeming feature he had was he owned his mistakes. He didn't blame other people. He didn't, you know, he just said, yes, I did it. I cheated and owned it. And then listening to Zane, and he, there is a part of me that feels for him. I get that he made the wrong decision. Um, I also think he's still, if you listen to the interview, he's made, him, he's, he's made himself out to be a victim. You know, like he felt forced into doing it. He was running out of money. Guys, it's a luxury to be a pro athlete. Like we live in, if he was from Ethiopia, if he was from Kenya and his whole village relied on him doing well to run, I get it. That's for me, that's a little bit of a different situation, but when you're from New Zealand, you're from Australia, there's a, there's a level of um, support there while you find another job. Like you're not going to be out on the street straight away. Um, Everything's a choice. I feel like he's still at that stage where I don't know if he's completely owning it. Um, And the excuses he made, you know, to say that it was in the COVID thing, I just found it really hard to swallow. And I don't know what it's like in running in terms of how how um, ingrained is doping in the sport. Uh, I mean, he makes it out in the interview like it's just part of that everyone's sort of doing it, which seems to be the argument people make when they get done. But I find that hard to believe. Um I don't want to be naive, but I, in triathlon, I, of course, there's a few people I'm suspect on, including, you know, some very big names, but it's very much in the minority. And I think, uh, I, I don't know if running's different, but you can't, I just don't think you can make that excuse that you felt forced to do it. I think everyone makes mistakes, but when you make mistakes that steal from other people, when you make mistakes that hurt other people, um, that's what I don't really tolerate. And I'm a very flawed human. I've made a lot of mistakes, but it's normally pretty self-destructive mistakes that, um, you know, that I'll own. If anyone asks me, I'll tell them about what I've done, but I find it hard when he's still making out like he's the victim in this instead of owning it. And it was a hard interview to listen to, even though there's a small part of me that, you know, of course feels sorry for him. It's hard not to, you know, he's suicidal after getting done for this, but, that's, you know, you've got to start to own it and stop being the victim. Stephen, any further thoughts? Uh, uh, it's despicable. I just agree with what you guys said. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm the same as well. I don't think many in triathlon or running were doing it, but uh, it's a shame that Kenya, uh, it's happening a lot, but it's very different for him, as you said, and for the rest, you know, for us, um, you can just get another, you can just get a job if you're not good enough. So yeah, that's, I don't know, it's tough, but it's, it's interesting to watch these movies and interviews and shows and you see how much it actually does help. Um, so you can see how they're tempted by it, I guess, but it's just never going to enter. I don't think with the backgrounds that we've got, we know that we've got, um, you know, families to fall back on and stuff. So it's, you just give it a crack like this, but it would be devastating to hear that, someone in triathlon who we're trying, you know, Grace, you're trying to climb up the rankings too. And it'd be devastating to hear that someone in one to 10 ranking in the world is doing it. Um, and I still don't think the, like I, I've heard interviews on podcasts where someone has said, 
oh, now, you know, I'm just thinking about everything now, like Aero, I'm seeing the same doctor as, you know, I'm not going to say the name, but someone. And I'm like, I'd love to ask the rest of the Aussies, like, I just go to my local GP to get a blood test. Why on earth would you need a specific doctor, like to, to read a piece of paper, your iron's low or high? Like, what? <laughs> any doctor will say it's low or high. Yeah, I think it's a red flag when everyone starts seeing the same starts when you start to see a particular doctor uh i agree 100 percent. yeah so that's the only time i've been suspicious recent interviews and i'm like why would you implicate yourself by saying i'm going to a doctor anyway at all i would just not even mention it i mean in saying all that i, I hope zane you know um can own it stop you know turn his life around and and you know i don't i don't want him to suffer the rest of his life because of his decision um and you know i, I don't want to sound completely oh, relentless and unforgiving and all that sort of thing but i think the one of the best things we've got going for triathlon is there isn't an attitude where it's accepted it's it's uh if someone wants to if someone gets a ban and then comes back like people don't even shake their hand on the podium people say oh that's a bit you know unsportsmanlike and whatever else so i'm like well people get a ban in cycling and they come back and it's like nothing's happened. And so the, one of the biggest things aside from testing and having your reputation tarnished is knowing that people will disrespect you within the sport for cheating. And I've, I'm proud that triathlon's like that. And I hope it stays that way. There's been a few pro cyclists come to triathlon though, hasn't there? Oh, I'm not, not saying not that it's, I'm not, I don't think it's rife in cycling anymore. I just saying the culture is different. Mm between uh well i hope it's not rough in cycling but i think the culture the acceptance is different when people come back from a band um yeah so i wouldn't be keen on racing someone who's been cheating in the past though you know like a they've done their band and now they're in triathlon and they've but they've benefited from 15 or 10 years of doping yeah um, in another sport i would i wouldn't want to race them for sure and also what's weird is I, the whole system of Hey, if you tell us everything you know and dob everyone in, and you can get their band reduced from four years to two or eight years to two, you know, like a lot of Lance Armstrong's teammates, they got six month bans for doing exactly the same thing, you know. And I get that you want to eliminate doping, but that's, that's, I just find that weird that someone can get a band reduced despite breaking the rules, you know, and it's, I already mm. think the, I already think the bands aren't heavy enough and then someone can get a two year ban because they were really helpful in saying where they sourced it and all that sort of stuff. I find that just weird um, that people can have that sort of leverage with, with their punishment. I think for, um, I think for myself, I like to think that triathlon's a clean sport and you you hope that knowing that you race um, has doped or um, in the past or, or is currently um, doing it. But I think for me in particular, testosterone um, is a huge, like that should be an automatic um, lifetime ban. Um, if it's, you know, A and B sample come across and it's high levels because you're getting physiological changes and adaptations that are going to last after your ban as well. So, I think I'm not super, I guess, familiar on, um, I guess, EPO and other specific drugs that you can be done for. But in my, I guess, uh, limited knowledge is that testosterone, you're getting um, significant benefits that, you know, even if you sat out four years, you're still going to have the changes that have occurred when you were taking it. So um, 
I'm not sure if that's across the board with different ones, but I just, yeah, think anything that's going to really long-term physiological change um, should be yeah, a lifetime ban. That's a good point. And I think it's very hard, especially with testosterone, because obviously there is a huge range in people's natural levels, um, you know, in women, in men. And so I'm not sure how they test for artificial testosterone. I know they were doing ratios, you know, of what was natural and what wasn't. And then they found that some people did just have excessively natural levels. It's a real tough one, but I a hundred percent agree with you. You know, someone, someone could take a few years out and if they're tasting testosterone really limit, you know, they could become a much better athlete in that time, stop the testosterone, come back and booyah they're winning races so yeah it's um it's all problematic i think i also think there's a few too many loopholes in general i mean we've got the conor mcgregor loophole now non mma fans won't understand what that is but people will you know where he just took time off you know and he then has to give six months notice when he's returning but it was pretty clearly obvious he was taking steroids to partly heal from an injury and partly become back a lot stronger gives you six months notice, comes back, but like you, like similar to the testosterone, he's a different athlete. Um, I think, uh, yeah, that's probably a whole nother topic we can, we can talk about in another time, but um, it's, there's, there's a lot to, I think there's a lot to be done on closing those loopholes. I think there's, um, I think the biggest thing we've got going for triathlon is we keep that uh, level of zero tolerance um, as a, a really strong, attitude all right to finish the show we haven't done a prank in a while and uh i decided to write some questions down with the help of steve to Tim Burkle, who's racing Ironman Australia, defending champion. Um, we messaged him pretending to be Port Mac News. The questions start fairly standard and then get more and more weird. Uh, and thankfully, Steve's sister is actually going to read the questions to him. So he has no idea that it's actually our questions, our interview. Let's see how it goes. See you next episode, people. We'll finish with that. Hi, this is Jess from Port Macquarie News. How are you, Tim? Hey, Jess. How are you going? Good, thank you. I really appreciate your time. Are you free at the moment? Yeah, yeah, I'm free. Yeah, let's let's go. Great. I know you've probably got a lot on your plate at the moment, so we won't be too long. All good. Yeah, all good, yeah. Cool. And so I just want to um, disclaimer, this is going to be quite a funny interview. I've got questions coming in from both our readers and my boss, so... I've actually just yeah, received sorry. them, so apologies if I do mess up any words. It's um, yeah. yeah, so it's just a script I've pretty much given for my boss about two minutes ago. So let's see how we go. Okay. All right, no worries. Soon. <laughs> cool. All right. So, um, so you're now a veteran. Um, so you're 42 yeah. or 41, is it now, Tim? Oh, oh, that's all. 30, 38. 38. 30. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yep. Yeah, no right. worries. Yeah, um, I'm a veteran. A veteran. Okay, I just assumed that yeah. maybe that was a bit older. That's all right. Yeah, so, that's all right. So regardless of your age, are you still, you know, you're obviously still racing with so many years of training and racing in the sun, but you've kept these really good boyish looks um, intact. So we kind of just wanted to know what your skincare regime is um, and kind of what that involves. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, um, I don't really have any skincare products. Um, everyone tells me, or my partner also tells me that I'm very weathered. So I, 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 thank you. I take that as a good compliment. Oh, well, there you go. Well, you're doing something right with your skin, obviously. You must just look good yeah, naturally. Yeah, well, I wash it, so that's about it. <laughs> I'm assuming all that swimming in the ocean maybe is helping. Yeah, yes, maybe. <laughs> all right. Well, should you win... Um, should you win and um, we'll still get the pleasure of any rock star, maybe antics at the end of any race signs um, like last year? Sorry, say that again. I just took you off speaking. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, yeah, all, yeah, yes. Yeah. All good. Go so, again. yeah, we just wanted to know, um, will we get the pleasure of any rock, rock star antics at the end of a finish line like last year? I'm just <laughs> wondering because oh. I might bring my kids along. I just need to know if I need to bring some earmuffs for them. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'll, <laughs> I'll try to keep it PG this year. But, yeah, look, I hope so. I um this is one race that really, um, really gets me motivated and really gets me pumped up. So I'm, yeah, I've, I've been training really hard and I'm um, pumped to return and uh, hopefully defend the title. So yeah, good. There'll be something. Uh, there'll be something good if I if I can uh, pull off the win again. Great. Well, our readers are looking forward to seeing that. Awesome. Uh, so uh, now that you've got the Ironman Oz monkey off your back with the win last year, will we see you going for it? And really trying to get a course record like the last past few legends we've seen, like Maka, Camworth. Um, sorry, I don't know the names completely myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Camworth has the current current yeah. course record, but the the bike course is changing this year. So I I don't know. I reckon the new course will be a little bit faster. I've actually come down and spent some time in Port and done a bit of course recon. But so yeah, I reckon. I reckon a record could possibly fall this year for sure. Oh, very nice. So, uh, nothing, so I'm assuming that the budgie smuggling stud Tim Reed's got nothing on you then. No, nah, he's, he's definitely got nothing on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're all studs. So speaking of studs, Stephen McKenna, what do you think about him? Whoa, he's flying at the moment. Yeah, look, I um, yeah, big fan of Steve. We're, Steve and I are pretty good mates. So yeah, he's um, he's on a tear at the moment, and I reckon yeah, he's going to be the man to beat for sure. So Ooh, um, very nice. Yeah, yeah so hopefully, uh, I hope I can get the job done. <laughs> are you intimidated by his talent, or do you worry that Steve or maybe Sam Appleton could give you a good old fashioned spanking and in the swim, leaving you singing "All by Myself" by Celine Dion? Do you know the one? Oh, yeah. by myself. <laughs> you know the one. Don't worry. Yes, I get very. Um, Yes, it makes me very nervous and I'm very anxious about it, that's for sure. Yeah, swimming is definitely not my forte, not my strength, and I know those guys are good swimmers, so hopefully I can limit the damage and uh, be thereabouts and um, and uh, make up some time again. Oh, well, maybe we'll pop the lyrics into the article and you can... Um, yeah, have probably a do, Yeah. <laughs> So I actually managed to interview Sam Appleton yesterday when I asked, and when I asked about the race, um, uh, he said... And I quote him, you never know with Burks, about once a year, those bowed legs pull out something world class. <laughs> so it did actually get me wondering, what does bowed legs actually mean? Is that a medical condition? I'm sorry, I'm not actually sure. <laughs> uh, it went, well, when I run, I, it, my, my legs are actually a little bit bowed. So when I run, it's really like obvious. Right. Like, especially when my... Uh, one leg's on the ground, you can really see it play. So, yeah, a lot of my mates give me shit about having bad legs and Apple's one of them. So, oh, I yeah. see. Yeah, kind of like a yeah, banana. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. The old Apaconda. Yes. Okay. Well, that's something I've learned today. Thank you. So, oh, so sorry. I said that's something I've learned today. So, thank you. Yep. 
Yeah, no worries. <laughs> so over the years, yourself and Tim Reed have um, garnered a reputation of celebrating race victories in the same style and losses in pretty much the same style. I would imagine <laughs> it's nearly impossible to enjoy a few beers after an Ironman or on the, is that yeah. an impact on the body or is it actually possible? Yeah, no, definitely. I always celebrate win, lose or draw. Like, you celebrate, like after you have drinks to um, celebrate or drinks to drown your sorrow. So, yeah, always always beers after the race. It's a, that's a must, that's for sure. Oh, that's good. Good celebrations. Yep, for sure. So, obviously, the goal is in triathlon is Olympics. Is Kona as well? Yeah, um, it was a goal. The Ironman Championships was, yeah, was a goal, but I've kind of... I've, to be honest, I've kind of given up on that now. As I said, I'm 38, 39, or 39 this year, and and uh, I've just kind of lost a little bit of the, the passion to go over and race the Ironman World Championships. Um, basically, I just, yeah, I getting older, I hate being away from my little kid, and um, I just kind of enjoy staying home and racing in Australia. So that's what kind of motivates me now. And so my, my goals for this year have changed, obviously, um, my big goals this year is um, to defend Ironman Australia and, and to, to race um, um, the Ironman Asian Pacific Champs in Cairns. So they're my two goals this year. So I'm not going to travel at all this year. I'm just going to stay home. And this might be my last year racing. I don't, I'm not 100% sure yet. So I kind of just want to stay home and, and just enjoy racing in Oz. Yeah, no, that's all right. I understand that. So maybe we'll go a little bit lighthearted then to um, go with a few more questions here. So yep. um, what body part would you willingly sacrifice as an amputee if it guaranteed you the Kona World Championships if you did race? <laughs> oh, um, well, something not too major. So, I don't know, maybe a finger or something. Yeah, well. I'm probably going to need you gotta, gonna You've got to think about your hands on the bike, though. You've got to think about your hands on the bike, though. Maybe ears so that way you um, can block out, you know, Macca and, <laughs> Macca and everyone's um, noise around uh, you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe an ear. <laughs> then I look a bit funny. Then my sunglasses wouldn't sit on my head properly. So true, true. And maybe a little pinky finger. It has to be a pinky finger. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Or a toe. I could go without a toe. My mum is missing a toe, so. Oh, well, there you go. You can yeah, run to the family. We Perfect. can be Mr. Toe each. <laughs> <gasps> All right. So we've got another question. For, this is from one of our readers. So if you got yep. offered a job, it's a million dollars a year. So yep. you get offered a job, it's a million dollars a year to be a full-time um, therapist, massage therapist to one of the following people. So we've got here Steve McKenna, Tim yep. Reed, Sam Appleton, or photographer Glenn Corrupt Vision Murray. <laughs> so it's one massage a day, minimum workload. anyone for a million dollars a year. I don't care who they are. <laughs> are you sure? You haven't, you haven't heard the rest of it though. Okay, sorry, go. Yeah, no, yeah. You might change your mind. So you have to take the job or not only do you get a million dollars, you die of a vicious STD. So there you go. <laughs> Thoughts on that? Yeah. Who so if I, if I, if I take the job and I die of an STD, is that correct? So if you, you have to take the job and yep. or not only do you not get the million dollars, you die of an STD, a vicious. So if you, you've either got to take it and start massaging one of those um, people every every day or you can die of an STD. Well, yeah, I'd do the massage for sure. Anyone do in I particular? Do choose one of them? Yeah. Um, I will choose Reedy because I've massaged Reedy before. So oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, John, I can do that again. Okay. Easy. Perfect. You know, you know, you know the man's body. So uh, hashtag no homo. <laughs> okay. 
Would you rather be a man with no limbs or a uh, and a half what a head? Would you, sorry, what would I rather be? Yeah. So, would you? This next question is: Would you rather be a man with no limbs and half a head, or a dog with no thoughts? <laughs> it's a good one for my readers. Yeah, dog with no thoughts. Oh, very nice. Have yeah, you got? Have yeah. you got a dog yourself? <laughs> yeah. Yes, oh. I do. Oh, you do. So She's yeah. Spoiled. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so this one here is, would you rather eat only dry pasta for the rest of your life or have soggy, overcooked penne pasta fingers for the rest of your life, but you can eat anything? Oh, I'd rather, yeah, eat anything. Love my, love my tucker. So you'll have pasta fingers overcooked for the rest of your life, though? Yeah, 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 why not? All right, well, no toe, <laughs> pasta fingers, it'll be a good look with maybe an, uh, no ear as well. Oh, sorry, say that again? I was going to say, so you've got no toe, maybe yeah, no that- ear... You're massaging yeah. Um, yeah. Tim Reed for the rest of your life and then you've got some pasta fingers. That's a good look. i got a million dollars out and I get to eat whatever I want. Yeah, true. Well, I wish yeah. you luck at the race um, with that, you know, with those hands and everything going on there. So that's good. Yep. So um, my last question is, um, have you listened to the triathlon, triathlon therapy with Steve Reedy and Cole Denny and would you be interested in being interviewed by them? Yes, of course. Yes, I've listened to it and I've quite enjoyed it. Oh, good. Well, congrats. Yeah, You've just yeah, been interviewed yeah. by them. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> who, who wrote these questions? Your boss. Yeah, yeah. So, um... Oh, fuck <laughs> off. I'm on the fucking podcast, aren't I? <laughs> you fucking dogs. <laughs> oh, fuck. Can't believe I fell for it. <laughs> Sorry, I can't speak. <laughs> this is Steve. This is Steve. Is Steve. <laughs> I can't race now. I'm like, no, that's um, that's Jesse, my sister. Oh, okay. I drove. Sorry. I drove all the way to her house. You did so well. You did so well. Uh, my my abs are hurting so much. I'm pulling out of the race anyway. <laughs> I've been laughing so much. Well, that was perfect. Well done. (laughs)